Greetings to everyone and welcome to Red Pill and Chill. I'm your host, Brian Bird, and I am here with the lovely Holly Ray Smith. We are a podcast dedicated to shredding the woke left, the increasing insanity of political correctness and cancel culture. So welcome to the show. Sit down on the couch, relax, and come take the red pill with us. Hello, everybody. This is Brian Bird from Red Pill and Chill, and today it's just me and somebody that I've known for a very long time, about a decade now, Jeremy Mutz. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. This was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. Jeremy's still at work, and he's recording on his uh, computer, so the audio may not be perfect, but we're going to do the best that we can. Jeremy, how do we know each other? Well, it seems longer than sometimes only seems like a minute and then other times it seems like 10 years but you started uh interning with me in the belly of the beast as i call it the uh prosecutor's office in tallahassee and uh you're my star intern um i don't know i probably i probably learned more from y'all than uh you did from me i'm not sure but uh we had fun i think and uh those were interesting days. Oh, they definitely were, Jeremy. These they were better days, but certainly, uh, certainly interesting and not without its own share of uh, of strange circumstances. It was a fun job. Jeremy was my first supervisor in any legal career whatsoever. He was uh, focusing at that time almost exclusively on DUIs and uh, not just misdemeanor DUIs, felonies, DUI manslaughters, all kinds of stuff. And Jeremy. Jeremy, you've done about 160 jury trials, isn't that correct? Yeah, right about that, and probably 40 or 50 uh, family law um, contested hearings, trials. Jeremy now actually is on his own private in uh, Chipley, Florida. That's over in the Panhandle. Where is Chipley exactly, Jeremy? How close to Tallahassee? Well, it's about an hour and a half uh West of Tallahassee, uh, Panama City is the nearest city, and uh, we get all the traffic from people driving down to Panama City coming through here about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. All right, well, we are here today. We're here to talk about something that is timely, something that we need to talk about. It's political courage, Jeremy. There is a shortage of it. We're seeing a ri- we're seeing a rising of political courage, in my opinion, but we're still at a critical shortage. And uh, it's something that you and I know a lot about. I think something that you know and both I know is it's very easy to go along, get along with the established order. It will help your career. It will help your finances. It will help uh, the connections that you create in life. But it's not a very fulfilling life. Tell us about what you've seen with that in your own personal life. Well, uh, you know, as as an attorney... As a prosecutor, I think really any profession people can relate to, you know, the simple idea you make waves and not everybody likes that. And, uh, you know, it's easier to kind of toe the party line. And as a prosecutor, though, it's so important because you really do affect people's lives. You affect the victims, you affect the defendants and, you know, potentially sending people to prison and doing things that could affect somebody's life. And uh, it's easy to just kind of fall in the trap of making the easy decisions and, you know, pleasing your bosses. It's tougher when you have to really treat the individual 
and you know decide somebody the evidence shows a person's innocent you may want to drop the charges may feel that's the appropriate course but how does that look in your office um takes some courage sometimes to say we need to drop a case other times where we really need to fight for victim that's the right thing to do but for some reason your supervisor or the office doesn't favor it you know it can take courage to try to fight for that victim and uh i mean i've seen it up up close and personal uh i was fired for fighting for justice in a 40 something year old homicide case in Tallahassee, the Sims case. So, but my situation is not unique. I mean, I think a, a lot of people have run into that. I know you had bosses in Orlando that, you know, they, it would have just been easier to just kind of kneel before them. And, uh, you know, some people choose to make a career of being in government and, you know, it's often the least common denominator. You know, you don't want to be that nail that sticks up. But, you know, I say all that because now we see it playing out almost every night in the news with, you know, from from all indications, Attorney General Barr is kind of running out the clock like a, you know, a really awful football game. And, uh, you know, Brian Kemp, I mean, I can only – speculate on what may compromise him, but obviously he's trying to almost run down the fence like it's a tightrope over Niagara Falls. You know, he he just does not want to uh, really take a a stand. And I think he just kind of wants to extricate himself from this and run out the clock. Well, I think you're right, Jeremy, on that. And there's a reason that I brought Jeremy on the show for this specific episode is that Jeremy touched on it, and it's very real. Jeremy worked at the state attorney's office for the Second Judicial Circuit in and for Leon County, Florida. That's mostly Tallahassee. There are other outlying counties. But Jeremy was involved in the Sims murder case, although Willie Meggs, the state attorney at the time, would deny that and say that he wasn't actually doing that, even though I know for a fact that Jeremy had every file on that case, um, which nobody else would have unless they were intimately working on it. And the reality is that is a case that, and I will say it how it is, Larry Campbell, the sheriff at the time, uh, did a terrible job on. He had an interview where he basically did the cardinal sin of uh, interrogation. And when you have a suspect talking, you need to keep them talking. Well, he actually got the suspect to shut up because he was blustering and he was a little too honest, you know, with what he was going to tell her was going to happen if she confessed. So Jeremy, anyway, he took over this case, been 47 years. I don't know if it was 47 years at the time that you were investigating it. What year was it? 1967? 66 so it uh see it was 49 years when i started working on it so you have a case but shockingly because of the suspects in the case were so young the suspects were still very much alive and jeremy we're not going to out them on the show here but jeremy discovered who the killers were in this case it wasn't much of a miss (laughs) i don't think it was too much of a mystery to anybody was it jeremy yeah to be fair i mean other Law enforcement uh, professionals over the years knew full well who it was, and you know, they looked at the files, they looked at the case, and 
firmly believed it was these two people. Larry Campbell also uh, stated to people, it was almost a, a badly kept secret in Tallahassee who he thought it was. And uh, but I think ultimately, you know, it was, it got to be an embarrassment so called by the current administrations of the sheriff's office and state attorney's office at the time I was there. And they thought if they kept going with this, they would be embarrassed for some reason. And, you know, I think the public really just would have been pleased to know it was worked on or maybe we took it a step further. I don't think anybody in the public would have really felt that way. But there again, courage, you know, sometimes people sitting in high office look at something, uh, and get and get cowardice and you could almost look at ag Barr. you know he would be a national hero if he sent his agents out and prosecutors out to actually delve into this fraud and you know if the election things were above board and he was able to uh, dispel our fears about that or, or make us feel more confident in the system i mean he would be a he would be widely honored but i think he's put his finger to the wind to think well if biden wins you know my safer course is just to not do anything until January 20th. And we know that that may, may or may not end up working out because we know that a lot of times your attempts to curry favor a la Mitt Romney ends up being attacked viciously when you decide to uh, finally stand up for something. You know, Mitt Romney, when he voted for Amy Coney Barrett, was basically the villain of the left again. Now he's, you know, being their lapdog again. It is pathetic. But yeah, Jeremy figured it out. In this case, he was fired because of that, which is, you know, people don't understand in, in government jobs. So often people think, oh, you got to do your job. You get promoted. You get, you know, do your job. Well, you get promoted. That is not at all how it works out. Anyone who's been in a government job and you could see it in companies as well, knows that when you start doing a great job, there is almost always somebody above you who is then insanely jealous of how you how you do. And it creates a, uh, I know it happened with Jer with Jeremy, we won't name the person, but there was somebody once, I'm going to, I got to uh, detour here for a second, Jeremy. There is one time, and I kid you guys not, that Jeremy, because he was in an outlying county, Franklin County, was it Franklin, Jeremy? Franklin County, Apalachicola, okay. yeah. Because he was in Franklin County, which somebody in that office hated, he told the super, the uh, state attorney, Willie Meggs, and I always use the voice because you have to use the voice. I'm going to use the voice, Jerry. <laughs> that, uh, I'm going to do it. He goes, Willie, you know, I, you know, they like that Jeremy down there in Franklin County. So if they like you down in Franklin County, there must be something wrong with you. <laughs> and, and that is, <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous. That's almost his exact voice to a T. But anyway, so that's that's where we're looking at. We've got political courage. We've got it. It caught. It has cost. You do it. You will be vilified eventually. I think you do recover as long as someone doesn't whack you, Jeremy. Something happened in in Georgia. All right. Not going to speculate on what happened with Governor Kemp. I don't think that yeah. he was involved in any of the vote rigging. I think it's a much more simple Occam's Razor explanation, and that is sometimes. You take things in public office and they end up coming back to, uh, you know, there are parties at play that you may not have known were at play at the time that, that you did. And, um, 
But are you going to tell me it's a coincidence that Governor Kemp's daughter's boyfriend dies in the most fiery, explosive, quote-unquote, automobile crash than I've ever seen? And, and the engine block flies 60 feet from the car? Well, you know, in, in law enforcement, you know, which I've been in and around most of my adult life, you know, they, they say uh, you don't get very far in this business believing in coincidence. And uh, I think too much of this doesn't add up. I mean, the simplest explanation, the, the understanding that we all have, uh, cars just don't even catch on fire anymore. I mean, when's the last time somebody had to go run and get a fire extinguisher to put out an engine fire? And, uh, you know, even if something happens, they get hit by a, a, a truck or hit by a train, the car will burn, but you don't explode like an IED. Correct. And uh, I, uh, I haven't seen any of the evidence in this, but, but I, I think it's too coincidental. And, you know, you, you almost, like you said, you're, you're exactly right. I, th- I don't think he, I don't think he was involved in perpetrating any kind of changing of votes or dumping of ballots, but, you know, maybe he was involved in something that wasn't quite above board and getting the contracts through and Correct. Got, a kick, you know, got a kickback. And who knows what kind of other interests now are wanting to preserve the Biden air quote win and, mm-hmm. you know, what they may do mob style hit um, the Chinese. I mean, their model is to indirectly influence politicians so they may give money to a union and then the union boss you know lobbies a uh, person in congress and you know says we want you to vote this way on something and you know the congressman isn't really compromised by chinese money but nevertheless china has influenced his behavior jeremy People don't have to take our word for it. Go back to the night of the Kenosha riots when the car dealership lit on fire. Almost every car in the dealership burned. Okay? There was not a single car that exploded. There was an initial poof from the gasoline being lit on fire. Goes out about four to six feet. That lasts fractions of a second, and the car then burns. Cars do not explode like they do in the movies. Tanker trucks that are under tremendous pressure explode propane tanks explode cars do not okay they just don't they're not under that kind of pressure that creates a massive explosion and gasoline burns so people need to realize that the kid it is disgusting what happened to the kid clearly somebody whacked him that's a classic hit and think about it jeremy what do you do do you go after governor kemp's family his daughter his wife no because guess what at that point you run a risk that Governor Kemp may go ahead and say, damn it, I'm going to reveal everything. You know, I got involved potentially, we're not saying it happened, but got involved potentially with trying to get these machines in. I took a little, you know, you know, one, one and a half, two, three million dollar kickback. And that's what happened. And now they've, you know, they've been coming after my family. You know, that's exactly how it happens. It's very common. People got to understand, did, is what, we think Governor Kemp may have done at all unusual in your experience, Jeremy, because I know you know about this specifically. How common are payoffs? 
well, more common than people think. And, you know, I think we all, every state that we're in and, you know, depending on where listeners are right now, you could almost point to any city in any state and say, well, that's a corrupt place. But when you peel back the wall, really almost every town has its corruption. And, you know, I've witnessed things that would give strong indications that certain homicide cases were swept under the rug in, you know, various cities in Florida for money, you know, for money that was brought to the table. And, you know, we have something here with machines and votes. And, you know, we have a, a governor that has a website with uh, encouraging investment from China into Georgia. Um, you know, we don't know all the things below the surface, but corruption is there. And, uh, you know, probably always been there to, to some extent. And, uh, but, you know, I've seen some really eye-opening things in, in Florida that would surprise a lot of people. It's true. And, and this really gets to what a lot of people don't know. You know, one of the biggest things that had got me down before this election season was that it is a truly amazing the number of people who are, are sheep. So many people, they believe what any of the major news agencies feed them. You know, especially we've seen Fox turning. You know, they have turned blue quicker than somebody face down in the pool, I like to say. <laughs> and uh, But even with Fox, even before then, you know, people believe everything they hear. They don't understand there's an agenda. There's so many people that are there that they believe the, the established order is all right. We have seen, obviously, the deep state is everywhere, and a lot of it is exactly what you said before, government workers who are afraid. Listen, I know somebody that his number one issue at the state attorney's office and I this is insane to me and I told him many times it was unethical as hell was he his job was to please his boss think about that you've got people's lives in your hands completely they could go to prison they could be a convicted felon the rest of their life if you're in sex crimes they could be a sex offender and be completely innocent we know that there are many false date rape claims it just is you know people uh the Me Too movement, which sold out quicker than Charmin in March, could take some <laughs> lessons to know that it can happen to anybody, these false claims. Okay, it happens, and it's not that rare. In fact, in the date rape realm, it is almost as common as it is that a person is actually guilty. That's my experience. But if you've got someone that their only goal is to please their boss, you can have no faith in your justice system. And that is what our justice system is filled with. And you've got someone like A.G. Barr who political courage is exactly zero. He talks a, a good talk, and uh, when the moment arises, he's at Golden Corral for the 4 o'clock uh, buffet. You know, it, that's sure what it seems like to me, Brian. I mean, and, and it will not hurt my feelings at all if he proves me wrong and, you know, we find out that things are being done. But I just see no indication of that. I just kind of see just kind of what you've talked about that right now he's put his finger to the wind or maybe shortly before the election that he thought, you know, Trump wasn't going to win. And, okay, well, how do I extricate myself from this? And, you know, I don't have the Democrats coming after me after I'm out of office. And, 
you know, it's the opposite of courage. You know, John F. Kennedy once wrote a book called The Profiles of Courage, but now we uh, we have a bunch of we have profiles and cowardice really on a daily basis. Good point. You know, and, and really I've said this before. We are living through the biggest news story of our lives. Right and, now. You know, the media is not covering it to a great extent. There's some, you know, obviously some voices of courage that are. Um, and then our politicians are largely just kind of taking a taking a siesta or, you know, waiting to see what happens. And, you know, I, certainly by far a majority of the Republican establishment. And, you know, something that really disappoints me, Brian, is in the old days, we we did have bipartisanship in the sense that if something was really egregious, you'd have people from both sides come out and say, you know, this is wrong and we need to correct this and get to the bottom of it. I think about the only person we have today with that level of courage on the Democrat side is Tulsi Gabbard. And, uh, yeah, but she's not, she won't be a Democrat for much longer, you know? And, uh, yeah, because they kind of drum everybody out of the party that doesn't just follow Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, which, it really does relate, and, and I hope maybe the audience can kind of relate to it on different levels because nationally we're talking about this, and then locally, and, and it affects potentially everybody's life in the sense that if you're in Congress, you're not speaking out because you don't want to go against Pelosi. If you're a new prosecutor out of law school, you don't want to go against your boss. And, uh, well, what if the person's innocent, you know? that you know it, and uh, but you still go forward anyway. Um, and there's, you know, there's laziness involved in a lot of that as well. And there is so much laziness, and especially in government. You know, Jeremy, I think we've got to address Rudy Giuliani here. This is a man who, he should be on a beach somewhere with his toes in the sand. Maybe, you know, if he was governor, he could close down a bridge. You know, like Chris Christie. Yeah. Uh, he could shut down the beach so he can have his little siesta. The guy should be on a beach somewhere. Instead, he's in there fighting what I would assume is going to be the last legal fight of his life. It's going to be the greatest legal fight of his life. This is a guy who is a profile in courage. He came up in a time where he had to deal with the mob, had to prosecute the mob, had to cut deals with the mob because of the facts on the ground as they were in New York City at the time. This is a guy who handled the New York City machine, got elected as a Republican, although a liberal Republican at the time. And I think that is an important distinction to be made for my second point. He was pretty much faking it just so he can get elected. A lot of people do that on the, uh, a lot of Republicans fake it that are really Democrats too. So it's kind of ironic. And Willie, obviously, uh, Willie Meggs faked that he was a Democrat when he wasn't. But we have, obviously he has 9-11, comes out, that tests anybody. He was basically the president of the United States for a couple months. All right, really he was in, in many in many senses. And, and now he's dealing with, uh, you know, like you said, the greatest quote-unquote conspiracy of our time. It's happening now, right now, and he's 78. He's still got his fastball. He's sharp as attack. He's done an awesome job. Sidney Powell, I think, has done a very, very good job as well. But I, you know, I know you're not fully on board with what I have to say here. But, you know, we've seen things with uh, L. Lynn Wood that I think were very troubling. He may have some good motives, but I, 
I think there's a lot of negatives there, and I think he's kind of, in some ways, turned Sidney Powell's Kraken into a bit of a sideshow. Well, I agree very much about Mayor Mayor Rudy and Sidney as well. I mean, they're both really of an age, not to say that they're, they're old or anything, but they're of an age that they could retire and certainly could enjoy their lives, but they're fighting for something that if, if they don't succeed, you know, they risk people are already talking about threatening disbarment against Rudy and things like that, that, uh, it's just really number one, it's a, it's an affront to our system that you would threaten an attorney's livelihood, their millstone, um, take their millstone from them because they advocate for their client and our whole system falls if that you know, is allowed to continue. But uh, the president himself as well, I mean, he had a, a wonderful life. I mean, he's certainly of an age that he could just retire and not run a business or do anything if he didn't want to. But, and that's one reason that I am behind the president so much because he, left an easy life, which would have been fame and uh, universal approval from Democrats and Republicans had he just stayed where he was. But he did this because he saw something, you know, being going drastically wrong for the country. You know, most of the the regular people of this country that were hurt by uh, jobs being shipped overseas, globalism, things that you know, we could put fancy labels on it, but basically the average person in this country was being uh, fleeced, stepped on, you know, stepped on by an out-of-touch elite that uh, only had its interests in heart. You know, Tucker Carlson put it pretty well the other day that basically, you know, he's not against the elites, but he's against the, the terrible elites that we have of the last 30 years that uh, see no responsibility toward the people you know, below them if you will. And uh, Donald Trump is somebody who's certainly of the elite, but has a common touch and cares, I think, very much about the people, regular people in this country and has done more for the average American than any president since Ronald Reagan or maybe even uh, before that. Um, certainly Certainly the greatest president and the bravest since Reagan and uh, you, know, you talk about courage, my profiles and courage, I think would be Ronald Reagan, would be Donald Trump. And uh, you know, what, what courage did George H.W. Bush or Bill Clinton or uh, George W. Bush or Obama show that could compare to Trump, that every single day he gets up and he's being investigated for something or called you know, all kinds of names or, you know, being impeached or, you know, seeing an election stolen from them. And basically we live in this alternate universe where the media tells us we're crazy for even thinking that fraud could have occurred. You know, uh, it really, I think my personal thought is that, uh, you know, Trump, obviously, he was very unique and he had a courage that most people couldn't even, you know, he had more courage in his cuticle than most people had in their collective bodies. And I'm talking about most people. But I think President Trump changed dramatically. Right around when it was revealed that the uh, Russia hoax that they had no evidence. 
when it came out and that was there. I think it fully hit him. President Trump's biggest mistake in office, you and I have talked about it before, was that he thought he could make nice with the establishment Republicans who hated his guts. Turned out, I mean, remember, he endorsed Mitt Romney in the 2018 Senate elections. Well, we know how that worked out. Mitt Romney is my biggest disappointment of any Republican because I actually liked Mitt Romney, John McCain. I saw him kind of for who he was at the time. Um, George W. Bush certainly saw it right around Katrina in 2005. But, um, you know, I think he, he saw it. And I think he changed dramatically. I think truly President Trump sees himself now as an idea more than just a person. And he knows if you've got the ego of President Trump and his ego is absolutely massive, um, what's the best way to be immortal is be an idea. You know, Batman said you can become more than just a man. You can become an idea. And uh, that was in The Dark Knight, and I, I love that movie. So I think that's what we're dealing with. But I wanted to get back to the last thing I wanted to talk about, profiles and courage. You know, we are seeing something that is very troubling to me, and I will speak out about it, and I will be bashed by it. Uh, some people will probably even call me a rhino when I'm basically to the right of almost everybody. Um, we are seeing cancel culture arriving on the right and that scares the shit out of me because cancel culture is a disgusting perverse idea that you attack people for having different opinions than than you have and it's huge right. and we're seeing it now with um people being shouted down there is a difference between disagreeing and disagreeing strongly and being disloyal that is right. a radical radical difference you've seen that too jeremy I have, and it's kind of like you touched on it a moment ago. We, you and I, have a, a different opinion about Lynn Wood because I kind of, I'm more of kind of a wait and see, and uh, I'm more also because the Democrats are so in lockstep. I mean, they're more yes. in lockstep than Star Wars stormtroopers, you know, walking down the ramp. So I'm kind of more of a wait and see, Eleventh Commandment, Ronald Reagan type thing, and. Uh, but you're right, the, the, the cancel culture has the tendency to creep across all boundaries. And uh, I, I kind of feel like Republicans, of all people, cannot have that because we need the unity and we need to work together and for once you know, make a stand you know, for what's right and not just take out the circle, circular firing squad, but... But more profoundly and more more deeply, like what you're alluding to, is just the fundamental freedom and liberty that the Republican Party, since the really the days of Goldwater and Reagan in the '60s, we've stood for liberty. And uh, an idea of cancel culture and political correctness is anathema to you know those principles. And freedom of thought if nobody else in the country stands for freedom of thought anymore that is a province of the conservative and i think of the republican party both in education and in the media and in so many other areas where all we have now is 24 7 propaganda and brainwashing and one reason we're in the fix that we're in in this country is that for 40 years we've sort of abandoned education to the, the hard left yeah yeah and we 
you know, we as conservatives believe in independence of thought that you shouldn't be taught what to think, but how to think in school. Yeah. That's, you know, I was fortunate enough. I was blessed enough to have an education in the panhandle where they really only wanted to teach you how to learn and not you know, make you into little woke robots. Yeah. And it started at the end of my high school years. You know, you started to see that. And then obviously college was an indoctrination facility. And unfortunately, you know, I love education more than anybody. I think conservative traditional people valued education probably more than any other uh, group of people. And it bothers the living hell out of me that our education system is an indoctrination facility. The kids are being taught total jokes. We saw Megyn Kelly pull, pulled her kids out of the New York public schools or the New York private schools, I'm sorry, because of what they were being taught. And basically, I think it needs to come out. People need to realize they need to stop getting offended by things because we're seeing that on the right too. People need to realize if somebody agrees with you on the culture war, they don't want to demonize people in one's country. They don't believe that it is a source of something to be ashamed of that you're proud of your country or should be proud of your country. If you reject the wokest ideology, conservatism is changing dramatically. It is changing dramatically. Not everybody is the, you know, true believing conservative that, you know, I am or has Reagan philosophies. And obviously I'm very libertarian, so you've got some weird, some weird views. But, you know, we have... We have to have a big tent, Jeremy. We do. I was getting to what Rudy... Rudy in New York was a liberal Republican back then. He would be called a rhino today if you went to his political philosophy back then. Guess what? Rudy was faking it. It was all fake. All right? It was all fake because he had to get elected in one of the most liberal cities in the country. And he did. And he got elected twice. We need people like that. Even Susan Collins, who's the definition of a moderate and is probably can only be counted on 50% of the time, she is far better than a Democrat who will agree with you 0% of the time. We need a big tent. We need people. And ultimately, they usually vote the way they need to. There is a difference when you arrive to somebody like a Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, who votes much more conservative than uh, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney is in it to screw you at every sense of, in every possible way that he can. When it really matters, Mitt Romney is in there to screw you. And that is a difference. That is a traitor. So we're here to invite people. Come on in. We're really happy to see uh, minorities. Hispanics are flooding into conservative or center-right or center ideas. And Democrats are truly the party of the far left, the party of control. We are seeing just the Constitution is turning into almost a joke now. You know, it's not, for anybody who doesn't know what this means, the Constitution is not self, self-executing. self That's a good, it's a good point. And, you know, the Democrats have become the party of the elite, and they've become an anti-constitutional party. And what I mean by that is the Constitution was a restraint on government, not on the people. The Constitution illustrated and reflected the rights that we were endowed with by birth, not that the government has given us certain rights. And 
you know, the Democrat Party has moved far left over the last almost just even four or five years. You know, if you if you were a Democrat and voted for Jimmy Carter, you know, this is not the same Democrat Party. And my I, father I think, voted for Jimmy Carter. Now he never voted for him the second time. He's proud to say he voted for Reagan in the primaries. But yeah, exactly. Or even Bill Clinton, you know, put it back into Bill Clinton or even John Kerry, the way he ran in 2004. You know, this is not the same Democrat Party. And, you know, I think one reason the election was so close is that some of the what Victor Davis Hanson has called Zoom males, you know, voted for uh, Biden and almost almost as if they were willfully blind of what he really run on as his platform and who was behind him and really... It's very clear, I mean, to anybody who's paying attention, it's very clear who's controlling Biden. And it's not, you know, Joe coming forward with principles the way Bill Clinton, you know, obviously was his own man in 92 and uh, in charge of his campaign and the message. Uh, but people just, you know, ignored all of that. And, and this is a hard left party. This is something to be concerned about. And uh, it's something that we have to stand up to. And we need everybody to be courageous in this and, you know, not just try to stand on top of the fence as long as you can, like Kemp and Raffensperger and uh, who is that person? Sterling something or other Gabriel. in Georgia. Sterling. That, uh, you know, oh, I, it's normal to have ballots in suitcases. Well, yeah, no, it's not. I've, I've been around a lot of elections. I've been around a, big recount in Florida and uh, nobody ever transported ballots and would look like an American tourist or like you would take on a trip to you know, Hawaii. The election security was a total joke, Jeremy. There's no doubt about it. And uh, what we're saying is political courage is not just the courage to agree. It's the courage to stand up and disagree. And that's fine. That doesn't mean disloyalty at all. You should not agree on everything. I'm going to end this here, Jeremy, with a point about what actual consistency in principle means. Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin infamously took a Donald Trump mask, a latex mask. She covered it in blood and held it to symbolize a decapitation of President Trump. In her tweet, in her, I think it was a tweet, but in her message, she did not actively call to assassinate the president, but she certainly implied it. I will say that that gets as close to, via, to not being protected expression under the First Amendment as you could possibly go. But even so, I think in cases where it is close, where you're not proverbially shouting fire in a packed building, as everyone likes to say, I think that's a little overplayed, but people like to say that. I think bomb on an airplane would be a better, a better uh, modern example. But because now you just pull the fire alarm, right? Sure. But that specific example is as close as you can get. But I believe that we should always err on the side of the First Amendment, give all benefit of the doubt until no benefit can be given. And I personally do not believe because of that, that she ever should have been prosecuted for any crime. And I hate the message and I hate her personally. That is what I'm talking about. Actually being able to 
Because we know the First Amendment, Jeremy, was not meant for the fluffy speech of, oh, what a beautiful dog you have. It was made for speech that was very bad. And we're seeing in the UK, we're seeing in Germany, they're labeling everything now as a hate crime. The concern as well is, you know, in the old days, liberals used to say, well, I don't agree with you, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And uh, they used to be the liberals, the left, were the ones that advocated for the Fourth Amendment, for search and seizure, and for people not being arrested and searched and sent to jail in violation of their rights. But now it seems as though the left is willing to give up not only the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, but the First Amendment as well, freedom of speech, because it's a way to get Donald Trump. If, if, we, can, if we can get Donald Trump, they are almost willing to sacrifice any sort of uh, rights to a free and open society. That's what's most troubling to me, in the fact that, you know, you have to be consistent. We have to have people consistently stand up for these principles that are enshrined in the Bill of Rights. And... Uh, that used to not be a conservative uh, issue, perhaps. But it I was think unanimous. It was unanimous. It, it, it indeed, indeed it was. And it's uh, come back to now where we have to stand up for those rights because there is no left that has universal acceptance of those ideas anymore. When Jeremy refers to the liberals, he's obviously referring to the old center-left liberals that you that used to exist. Now those are a very, very, very small group of liberals that still exist, and they generally align themselves with the right in terms of issues like the culture war or uh, obviously free speech, you know, search and seizures, liberty. So they are quickly abandoning the Democratic Party, I think, because they're such a small group anyway, and they are turning rightward. I think a lot of people are having a baptism of sorts, and they're starting to go rightward. But like I said, not everybody needs to be on the hard right that I am. Not everybody needs to, you know, believe in the Austrian school of economics and the fact that you don't bail out companies and you don't print money and you don't do that. You don't have to. You know, that's what we're we're saying. Come on in. We'll sort out our differences together. And honestly, right now, the only thing that matters is our way of life and our culture. Honestly, that's it. But last thing, Jeremy, that I'm going to hold, and this is something that everybody needs to realize, what makes this country so unique and so difficult for the leftists to take over, not liberals, the leftists to take over, is that there are 400 million legal guns in homes in this country. A lot of the left likes to say in the streets. The the legal guns are not in the streets, Jeremy. They're in homes, in safes. Right. All right. That's the reality. The illegal guns are on the streets. All right, gangbangers don't sell legal guns, all right? They just don't. We've all seen the statistics. 2% of legal firearms are used in crimes. It's always the stolen guns, every time. So that's the reason. So when they do gun control and they do these taxes on guns, they, you and I both know gun control is going to be difficult. It's the ammo control that is going to be far easier, far, far easier, way easier. If you don't have ammo, you can't shoot your guns. The guns are the absolute impediment to the total takeover, the Great Reset, the New World Order. So we need to fight back against that. Never give up your guns, ever. Every single law that they're passing forward now is a violation of your Second Amendment right. Every single one. That is it. 
And that is what makes us different. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a huge gun person. You don't even have to own a gun. But you have to understand that, yes, there is an individual right to a firearm and the government stepping in. That is an overreach, just like it is an overreach to say, stay in your home in month eight, month nine of a pandemic that truly never was that deadly. It's deadly, but it never killed the 5% of people they were talking initially. It's far less than 1%, especially among those who are healthy. Jeremy, we're seeing a tremendous restriction in liberty. I'd love to have you on soon. This went very well. We didn't do any preparation, but, you know, obviously we've been friends for so long. I think this was pretty easy. So I thank you for coming on for Brian Bird. Uh, thank well, you. I'm Brian Bird for Jeremy Mutz signing off. Take care, Jeremy. Thanks, Brian. Red Pill and Chill is produced by the Freedom First Press. Hosted by Brian Bird and Holly Ray Smith. Audio produced by Norman Crenshaw. Executive producer, Jared Crenshaw. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Parlor at Freedom First Press. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Freedom First Press. For more information and news, check out our website at freedomfirstpress.com and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for listening. Copyright Freedom First Press 2020.